Thanks for downloading this Brum Radio podcast. For more programs, visit BrumRadio.com. Imagine yourself as one of the crew of this faster-than-light spaceship of the future, sharing their curiosity to know the unknown, their tension, their readiness for inconceivable adventures. Baffling questions, astounding questions, that not even the world's greatest scientific minds can answer. Computers now have primary control of critical vehicle functions. Now we have made it You are listening to Geeky Brummy. Squiggly line. Flatline. Squiggly line. Flatline. Boo. Kiki's describing his death there. <laughs> Squiggly line. Flatline. Like the death of Optimus Prime. Are you going to pull out the matrix of leadership when you go? Yeah. Hand it down to Phil. Hello, and welcome to the Geeky Brummy podcast. Hello, Mr. Halfard. You alright? Hello, Mr. Bloomfield. All right. Hello, Mr. Ellis. Hello, Mr. Parrish. Callan has managed to navigate himself back down to the south coast to find water. Oh, there's a lot of water on the coast, so I believe. Yeah. I thought he was. Uh, I thought he was off today because he's uh, got a gig on Saturday night takeaway presenting for two weeks. Oh, of, course. <laughs> of course, he is legendary Callan Danes. Of course, yeah, Cal- Callan and Dex Saturday night takeaway. Do you know what Callan Danes is? The Stephen Mulhern of this show. Oh my god, I don't think you've ever said anything that's as true as that statement. <laughs> I was going to say Scarlet Moffat. <coughs> oh. That's Phil Ellis. <laughs> I'm Scarlet Moffat with received pronunciation. Keith's the announcer. I don't know what you're talking about. Who's Scarlet Moffat? Scarlet Moffat is a girl who was on Gogglebox. Gogglebox. And she was, uh, and then she went to I'm a celebrity, and now she's become a TV celebrity. She, um, she she's a backdoor celebrity. She's becoming the new Davina, I would say. Yes. Yeah, she's basically she's, she presented the the remake of Streetmate, which was uh, yeah, and she, she and she like hosted local radio, which was her break after Gogglebox, and that's yeah. why they like kicked her off the show, and then she started doing proper radio. Proper. She's basically a a gobby girl from. Is she from Bolton? She's a Georgian. She? Oh, we, oh yeah, 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 she is. Yeah, so. Um, but she's really she's quite funny actually. She's yeah she's um, she just says what she she's thinks. very she's... popular because she's incredibly relatable and down to earth and people like that. But she's sort of quite smart and, and funny. And well. she throws shade left, right, and centre. Oh yeah, yeah. She looks, she looks like a Nolan. I've just googled her. <laughs> she looks a bit like one <laughs> of the, the Nolan. Speaking yeah. of Nolans this week, I saw an excruciating piece of television called The Real Full Monty Ladies Night, and it was basically. Oh yeah, we know why you were watching that guy. <laughs> No, it was it was Colleen Nolan gathered a bunch of ladies together to do the full Monty. Is it like loose women after dark? Pretty much, yeah. Apparently, there was a male version, and Dom Littlewood was on it, and he <laughs> he he revealed a bit too much. The than human, was the human peanut, Dom Littlewood. <laughs> Didn't they do this last year? Isn't this part of like a ongoing campaign that they 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 did? I'm I'm sure they did one last year. Well, but to be like diverse now, they've had to do ladies' night. So, um, well, since Goth One's been off TV, people are watch, missing the old titillation of. Half naked people. Uh, I don't really want to see Dom Littlewood Who's in the Dom book. Littlewood. Yeah, the, the the cowboy builder man. Yeah, that little the, oh, that, oh, little, that oh, little man. Oh no, the Phil Mitchell impersonator. Oh, yeah, the one that I always get mixed up with Simon Rimmer. <laughs> well, <it's>, <laughs> neither of them. I mean, to be honest, with you, sorry if they listen to the show, but let's face yes. it, we don't want either. We want TV. Simon. We want to see food unwrapped, not you. Yeah. yeah. Oh. <laughs> Do you, do you, I liked with Simon Rimmer when he uh, he did Strictly Come Dancing and he dressed as Buzz Lightyear. I think that was one of my personal TV highlights of the year last year. You need to get a line. 
<laughs> I, I have severe respect for Simon Rimmer because somebody who has had to work with Tim Lovejoy for that long and not stabbed him with any of the cutlery oh that God. is behind him. Oh. That, that, that is a patient this, man. No, I'm going to say the two of them. I mean, at least Simon Rimmer brings a, a skill to the Cooking. show. He yeah. can cook. Yeah. Um, and, and when he talks about food, it doesn't make me want to die. Where it's, it's, but it's when the two of them are like interviewing a pop star or an actor or something and it's literally just... It's, it's, it's like, Tim it's reading like, off the cards. So you're... It's like, it's like a Christmas I'm at my uncle's house trying to explain what I do for a living, and they just they just don't a, they don't really get it, and they just don't care. They're like, okay, great. Um, so do you know like football? No, yeah. <laughs> Look, I've searched for Simon Rimmer because I had no idea who you were talking about. Although I did see him yesterday on a BBC Four documentary about yogurt, so I've searched. <laughs> I've searched for him, and uh, you, you get the pictures, and you scroll through, and you go, you get, you know, Simon Rimmer, Simon Rimmer. Oh, I've lost it now. Charlie, no, you're going to get Arnold, Arnold, Arnold Rimmer now. Are you? Arnold Rimmer. No, but it was like, uh, and then suddenly I got a picture of. Um, is, that, is that like when you Google me and picture Callum? Rachel. <laughs> I got a picture of, of Rachel out of Countdown. Suddenly, yeah, because she was on the same series of um, Strictly. Uh, that's not a very good Google image search. If I search for him, and I, I get a picture of, so you just scroll through. And then suddenly, halfway through... I've just seen a lot of Rimmer at the moment. Yeah, I've lost it. Anyway, are we I, saw up, it's coming, it's coming, I saw a wild McFadden. Oh, it's gone. I've lost okay. it. On the subject of Rimmer, I, I, I have a story to don't, tell. Don't, don't go down that road. Um, I think you know what I'm going to say, don't you, Ryan? Because yeah. you're already cringing. Okay, so my girlfriend's dad, we he loves PlayStation. I think we've discussed this before. He's a six-year-old man who loves playing PlayStation. <sighs> We bought him, he's finished Uncharted, he's finished Tomb Raider, so we thought, what could we get him next? So we bought him Skyrim. Okay. Uh, <laughs> um, he's, he's engrossed in Skyrim, he's like fully addicted to us, he, he keeps talking to us about the world and like what his character's doing, and it's kind of like, I have no idea what you're on about, because I don't play it, so I don't know understand these features. Anyway, me, um, Laura and her sister Emily sat at the dinner table the other day, waiting for the dinner, uh, Sunday dinner, and he just turns around and he goes, oh, after I've dropped you back tonight, I'm going to be rimming all over the world. <laughs> And like me, Laura and Emily are just like, sorry, what? And he was like, I'm just going to be rimming all over the world. And we had to sit and think about it. Like, are you talking about Skyrim? And he was like, yeah. And we were like, yeah, maybe don't like, <laughs> refer to it as that. Rimming all over the world. He could do quite well on Patreon with that kind of idea. <laughs> I just said it sounded like a Lost Quail album. <laughs> I just, I just love the pure innocence. And here we rim and here we rim and here we go. All around. Children who are listening, don't ask your parents what rimming yeah. is. Wait till you're 18, at least. Rimming well, all over the world. How old you when you first learned what, a, what that is? Because I remember it, exactly. It, it, it's, <laughs> it's, play, it's playground level 13, 14, was, I think. It was in the South Park movie. So yes. I want to say... I was, was going to say that. I was about, yeah, and Cartman's mom's like, oh, it's when you put your legs behind your head and someone... Mm, 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 mm. Um, somebody runs your playstation controller uh, yeah so i yeah that's 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 I, and it's very it's very rare that you remember like the actual moment that you learn the origin of a a swear yeah and that was a, that was a creative one that was a new one I, we didn't we didn't correct him on it i mean yes. i hope yeah. i hope he says it again conversation with, with you with you, with you no. uh, has he retired yet yeah he has retired yeah it's gonna say because i could just imagine him going into work next day and like, oh, oh i was playing that rimming last no, night no 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 oh. <laughs> I can imagine like a family gathering or something like that. He's going to say it to someone and they're, they're going to realise and they're going to be like, what? They're going to be like, yeah, uh, yeah, Guy and Laura got me into women. <laughs> <laughs> when, when she's finished they, Skyrim. Like, you know, they, they said they thought I'd really like it. The, the missus is getting a bit upset with the rimming. Though. <laughs> you just got to start. Taking up so much of my time. Start him on Rimworld afterwards. 
do you know what? It, you can get it on VR. Imagine that. Rimming oh. the VR. Oh. God, rimming all over the world. So what else have you been up to this week, guys? Um, I, I made a foolish mistake in Ikea. <laughs> Is there any other kind of mistake you can make in Ikea? So, you know in Ikea you have to get the little pen and a little pad and you have to write down what you want because... No, I, I've never been to Ikea. <laughs> we need to take Phil to Ikea. <laughs> yeah, you'll love, it, you'll love it. Nice try. No. No, I think Phil in it Ikea would, would be a mind. great YouTube video. It, it's fantastic. Trust. Um, you can have meatballs with chips or mashed potatoes. Your call. I don't think that's going to sell it to him. Swedish is there, meatballs is there a You can you buy, can buy alcohol. alcohol. Yes, yes, you can, yeah. Well, okay... Here we go then. Drunk furniture shopping, I think, could be a webisode that we do. Well, I might need to go back and get some more stuff, so this could ha- this could happen. I do need some shelves. So anyway, you go to IKEA, you get like this pad of paper. You get a little bit of paper. You have to go around. And you you look steal at, the pencil. Yeah, but you look at the object you want because you can't just take them off the shelves because it's like a showroom. You have to mark down what the what the stupid Swedish name for it is, like gum or or like. Or Cullen. Floodle Duck or something like that. You know, they've got all stupid names. Yeah, Cullen is the name of the drawers. What Cullen Danes drawers. Um, so you have to mark it down with a bit of paper. And then you have to go around and go downstairs and collect it. However, at some point on the second floor, I put the piece of paper down and I lost it. So I had to go all the way back round, reverse around the top floor of Ikea, making a note of everything that I've recorded again, because we would have just been in a bad situation. That's the best way of doing Ikea, is the opposite direction to the arrows that are projected really? onto the floor. Just don't go, don't follow the arrows, go the opposite way. First world anarchist, really freaks everybody out. <laughs> it freaks everybody out. They're all like, what are you doing? It's like, I'm not going to... Just because the arrows are telling me to go that way, I'm not. He can't be controlled by that you simple bit of me. social engineering. And you missed the other great thing about IKEA, the little paper tape measures. Oh, yeah. They're, they're brilliant. Keith's got about 600. I've got loads of them. <laughs> I do, I do but, like going out to IKEA, filling a trolley full of stuff, getting to the tills and going, I ain't waiting, and just leaving it. And then we're also... Sorry. One thing that annoys me, their loyalty card is called the family card. Sorry, Ikea. You're not part normative. <laughs> you're not part of my family here. It's like you can't muscle in this big Swedish multinational. I'm not going to get you a Christmas present. Isn't it just a Swedish mafia? That's why it's the family. But the, I bet they'd wear such elegant outerwear. <laughs> the, the Ikea trip, though, has led me to a week of kind of lost discoveries. So in Ikea, we were we went with um, Laura's little sister's boyfriend, and he came back. I came back to him and he was like, do they sell underwear in Ikea? And we were like, no. And he was like, why is there a bra on the side here? And the bra was a bit dirty as well. So someone had obviously just got a bit hot around Ikea and just taken it off, perhaps. Oh, that's wrong. But that wasn't the, my best discovery of the week. So obviously I've moved house, a new house, new garden. Um and they haven't cleared the garden yet, so I was looking in the garden and <laughs> um, we noticed there was an old barbecue and there was a plastic bag, blue plastic bag in the barbecue. And like me and Laura looked like, what's this? And I was like, I don't know. Anyway, there's a child's plastic spade in the garden. So I, I grabbed that spade and started like sort of pushing the bag a bit, moving it around to try to see what was it. it it's a, someone's old bag of porn. Someone's bag of porn DVDs have been left in my garden. They obviously tried to burn them. And I was like, yeah, music <laughs> research. <laughs> like, of all the things to find, and especially in my garden, a bag of porn. Someone's old porn. Do you want to give us some titles? Well, which, I which are broadcastable? Well, the, there's only one I could see. I could see that one was 
a porn DVD, but I couldn't see the top. But the one I flipped it over, and the one at the front was called Cranked, which oh. I can only assume is a spoof of Jason Statham's film Crank. And I can imagine what we need, what he needs to happen to keep his adrenaline going here. So, um, yeah. So thanks for that. Whoever lived at my house before, thanks for leaving your porn in my garden. I think you should get that bag, open it up, and just see if they're all like British made ones because they'd be not, good they'd I'm be not, like high quality um, productions I'm not touching that bag with <laughs> cinematographer Mr. K. Bloomfield <laughs> I don't know I've not shot any of those do you know what was, that's what's troubling it's like someone obviously was like oh, I've got to get rid of this before I leave and they just didn't have the time to burn it why would you put it in a barbecue of all places oh. it's like if you're going to dispose of DVDs burning them in a plastic bag on a barbecue is not the way to go about it <laughs> Just hide them halfway down the bin or something. It's like, like that, yeah. surely you're going to alert all your neighbours when that giant toxic cloud of smoke is going. The porn ghosts escape. <laughs> <laughs> Instead of going, ooh, they're going. It's like the end of. It's like Scooby Doo ghosts coming out. The end of Raiders of the Lost Ark. I really think I might keep it there. There was like a, almost like a statue from when people come around. We have a barbecue in the garden and they'll just like, that'll be the centerpiece of the garden. Like, what's that? What's that nice display piece you got in the garden? Yeah, it's a barbecue with a bag of porn in it. We like could go put for it a in barbecue your at Tracy Emin's house. <laughs> you could do it in your outdoor toilet. Oh. Which you was... out, do you have an outdoor car, Z? Yeah, he came around to mine last week and in uh, the open thing, he's like, you got an outdoor toilet. He looked well impressed. He looked more happy about it than I was. It just reminded me of like, my grandparents' house because my grandparents used to live in a back-to-back in the Black Country, and it's it was very like, much a pre-war thing. Isn't you it? didn't used to have an indoor bathroom; you'd have Please. an outdoor toilet. Until I was four, I lived in a house with an outdoor toilet. There was no in- inside um, plumbing. Yeah, I had to have a tin. I had to have a bath in a tin bath in front of the fire. <laughs> <laughs> well, I've seen the Secret Garden. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it was like yeah, crazy. Well, I flushed it because you have to. Just wanted to make was sure it a chain? Was it yeah, a proper check, old proper school? Chain. Yeah, proper good toilet. That that toilet's probably seen more action than most of us. Well, considering what's in the garden, yeah, probably. <laughs> and those are the kind of toilets that had the strength to flush away. So. <laughs> <laughs> not like modern toilets with that press button thing that just goes, I'm just going to dribble down the toilet. <laughs> that's not shifting. On the diets you guys have got, that's not. That's, we've not progressed well. Harsh. Not you, personally. I mean, Shiny. in general, the human population. With all those processed foods. And eating lots of fibre. You're blocked up colons. <laughs> Push button toilets are not the thing um, for you, lot. We mentioned IKEA meatballs once and he thinks we eat badly. <laughs> I feel like this has taken a left. Welcome left to turn. embarrassing bodies, Bruby. <laughs> Phil, what have you been up to this week? Um, well, I was just going to share my IKEA story um, where I, and I made an enemy of the global marketing director of the company, but I think I've already told you guys that. I don't remember. I don't remember this. No. So, well, I mean, long story short, um, he hates me now. Um, I'd written something about their online catalogue, and it was basically about how it's um, a very clever marketing exercise because they uh, tailor the catalogue to different markets, to different cultures. So, for instance, the the stuff they sell in China, um, housing spaces and kitchens tend to be a lot smaller, so they do special photo shoots showing how, like, you know, these things will fit a much smaller space. Um, and I, the whole point was, I was like, yeah, it's really, really clever. And then just at the end, I was like, oh, but you know, they have got some flack because they airbrushed all the women out of the Saudi Arabian and um, Hasidic Jewish like categories. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it was like one line. And it, I wasn't even the one that said it was bad. I just said, oh, yeah, like, you know, this is one thing that's drawn criticism. And um, I hadn't realized that the, uh, the agency I was publishing it with, um, IKEA, are a client of theirs. And the director, the global marketing director of IKEA, 
was not happy, insisted he get uh, pulled down. He wanted me fired. Um, so, yeah, that's my one and only IKEA story. Hang on a minute, you caused massive controversy. Yeah. I mean, it come on. every week? Yeah, that's true. It's, it's me. Um, yeah. So that's my IKEA story. But I, I've had a good week. Um, I, uh... It sounds like you won't be able to go into IKEA if we talk about that. <laughs> Is there a picture of Phil in every single IKEA <laughs> They just the have board. my byline. Do not allow this man. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this week, um, I... What's happened this week? Oh, I, 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 was, I was writing another piece all about digital addiction. And it took me a week to write it because I just could not stop checking Twitter. Uh-huh. Um, we, we have a version of that right next to you. L- literally sat next to me. <laughs> yeah, Keith is just scrolling people. mindlessly down I'm, his timeline. I'm checking out your Twitter feed to see <laughs> what was happening. Because uh, the trouble with Twitter now is if you miss something, you, you don't find it. So I, I was, I'm just looking to see what was, um, oh, he's what, really, what was going on. He's reading my Twitter profile, so it's okay. He's allowed. And um, another exciting development this week is I got a new freelance gig where I am going to be paid to be good at Twitter. Has David Massey employed you? <laughs> I mean, like, uh, 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 get a get a job, Phil. Get a job. This is my job. This is this is this is the amazing thing. So um, I'm yeah. gonna swap jobs with Phil for a week. That that should be a feature piece. I I would not live your life, guy. <laughs> no offense, but you you you're gonna have to kill me. Hard. So do I. I have a, I have a lot of fun. You, you sold your soul to the devil for your current workplace, which I'm not going to say where it is. But I, I distance myself from what I what I do. <laughs> we won't talk about my job. So which are online thingy? So on? I'm yes, I'm going to be doing. I'm going to be running social media content for um, some brands. Um, it's through our mutual friend, Mr. Bradley Mearsland. Mm. So I'm joining the uh, team at Clive Reeves PR Ooh. to do social stuff for those guys. Um, and so, yeah, we're going to be starting that next week. And I'm very excited because they're a lovely bunch of people. I really, really like hanging out with them. And, and I'm they sure... have a really cute office dog as well. They do. And, and I'm really annoyed now, though, because it's, it, the timing's wrong because Bradley's now moved out of the city centre. So he's not going to bring the office cats in Aww. because Brooklyn and Matza are like my little babies. Like, I, I honestly love them more than I love him, you know? Um, <laughs> but yeah. <laughs> You're just friends with Bradley for the cats. <laughs> oh, that, that, there's multiple friendships where I'm just like, I'm, I'm with you to get to your dog or to get to your cat. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, so that's been my week. Impressive. Well done. Thank you. Keith? It's like, it's like we're getting scored. <laughs> Graded. Well, guy, your week was a B plus. <laughs> Philip's yours is an A. <laughs> I'm gonna get a C. I'm gonna fail. This is shocking. What have you what been up to? Doing? Um, bits and bits and pieces. Actually, I've been quite creative this week. Actually, I'm quite pleased. Uh, I did uh, a little piece. There's a Facebook page I follow for um, awesome comics uh, talk, and they've taken like a Avengers poster and broken it up into squares, and you got to pick a square and you got to do your version of it. Um, so I picked a a square that had nothing in apart from a bunch of rocks uh, and I did a little picture of uh, a Korg from Thor Ragnarok uh, just to throw it in. So I've knocked that up because I bought myself a iPad Pro to do some more drawing so it's just giving oh. me an excuse to um, do some sketching, do some drawing, try and upskill myself a little bit and get back into the habit of doing it. So I'm trying to be a little bit more creative. Oh my god, I've solved the mystery then. If he's bought an iPad, he's ditched something in my garden. What? 
What? <laughs> I've not I've not ditched to carry a bag full of DVDs in your bag in your in your backyard. You don't need them anymore, he's got a life. <laughs> well apparently Tim Cook's fine with you watching that kind of stuff on, on your iPads and Apple devices. Okay. Unlike unlike That's Steve nice Jobs was. Um I'm trying to think what else. Well, yeah, reading a few comics, trying to catch up on my comics reading. Uh just trying to be a you know more general kind of listening to some music, watching TV. I watched uh, the first episode of the new Le- uh, Lemony Snicket series, which is very good. Very, very much enjoying that. So that's cool. And a couple of, you know, other bits and pieces. I wasn't, you know, partnering up with some large, major conglomerate of social medias. I'm still struggling with the term of doing Twitter good. <laughs> what does that mean? I don't know. How do you do Twitter good? Although t- Phil did do it good this week. He used a picture of SpongeBob on one of his tweets. So that was that's good. I can see how if you're using Twitter, good tapping into the youth. Yeah, just anybody who posts uh, pictures of SpongeBob, they're doing Twitter good. Oh, and the other thing that I that I did this week that I really enjoyed was uh, I had a moment of infinite happiness at seeing the pictures of um, <laughs> Keanu Reeves and Alex Winter in the ant- entertainment uh, magazine spread they did the other day. Which you can find on the Facebook page. Yes. Of, I I saw those pictures and I was like, oh my god! The sooner Bill and Ted three happens, the better. But I'm I'm just I've such a man crush on Keanu Reeves. It's unbelievable. I'd buy his motorcycles in a flash. You know what? I'd love for Bill and Ted three. If Bill and Ted now become like Rufus, and they hand it on down to next generation. Well, you could absolutely do that and have them in like the pilot of a new Netflix series, and then it becomes like a YA series with a younger cast, and they're just like the cameos. Yeah. Like my new one of my favorite things is in like a teen show or a teen movie where you've got like the teen stars of yesteryear playing the parents. Well, they did that with 21 Jump Street, if you remember when they did the reboot, and you had Johnny Depp and the original cast turn up at the end of it when they did the remake. I, I, I Channing didn't, Channing didn't yes, see it. Yes, yeah. yes. Because it was originally a TV series. That oh, was where Johnny Depp got his big yeah. break back in the 80s. And it's like they pop up in it. Yeah, it's like seeing uh, Madge and Amick in Riverdale. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. yeah, and like Luke Perry and Molly Ringwald, and yeah, I just, I love that. It's yeah. sort of, it's, it's, it's a cute little nod. Well, when we got home from the cinema last night, Viv was watching, um, they've done a Dawson's Creek reunion thing for People magazine, so Viv was like watching that on YouTube. Oh, and I, was, like, I, think, I think it was Viv shared a clip of it on Facebook, yeah. and I was watching that, and yeah. It's like 20 years. And half of them haven't aged. Yeah. Well, actually, even though, I was saying that none of them have aged, but Kerr Smith has like silver <coughs> hair now, but he still has the face of a 20 yeah. year old. It's yeah. weird. Dawson or Pacey? Oh, Pacey all the way. Pacey. Pacey. Yeah. Pacey. Yeah. Dawson was such a sap. I like films and I'll fancy a lot. Get stuff. Well, that was why Dawson's Creek's crying face got turned into that 90s meme of everything. Oh, yeah. yeah it's like when yeah. you want to get in your internet and the sister's on your phone, you'd have a picture of Dawson's crying face <laughs> over the top. I want somebody on Netflix to commission a series that is basically Guy Meets Laura. I just want to see how that went down. But in, on TV, guy, guy will be like, yeah, you like me, come round, I've got good clothes and records. She turned up 40 minutes late for the first date, so I, I was obviously angry. <laughs> Wait, you waited 40 minutes? Yeah. That's the only but, reason they're still together. Do you know what? I have to say it when I, best decision I made. What, what was your first movie together? Do you know that film Holy Motors? Where oh, God, that's so bad. Yeah, we'd see Holy Motors. 
It's like an art house it's movie. It's an art house film where like, but, a man plays like 12 different characters. What, who was it directed by? Because it was, uh, got oh, loads of press. I can't remember. Came, uh, but Kylie Minogue's Yeah, I was going to say Kylie's in it. Is that, is that the same guy that did um, Spring Breakers? Spring Breakers. I love Spring Breakers. Um, Look at my... I'm not going to say the word. Yes. Leos Carax. Yeah, that's yeah. the first one we went to go to the cinema. That was, that was a weird film, that was. Yeah. It, it's a film which it was trying to be like, um, what was that early, your favourite director, Mother Guy, his first film. Aronofsky. Aronofsky. Yeah, it was like trying to be like a a, a lighter, Frenchier version of Aronofsky. It was just, it was just art house. Yeah. Little right. Wasn't great. No. I feel like, when you're when you're on a first or second date though, like going to see a bad film is better than going to see a good film because I've got something to talk about. Exactly, and your attention's not on it. So, yes. oh, I, I, I mean, yeah, I've, I've, I've had a good kiss and a grope in the back of several terrible movies. <laughs> <laughs> Was that with the person you went with? Or... <laughs> Why did you wait for me to smoke my drink before saying that? <laughs> Coke coming out of my nose is not something I want, especially because it's not the 80s anymore. Probably, <laughs> <laughs> oh, <yeah. sighs> How was your week, Parrish? I, I did manual labour. Putting up a light is not manual labour. It is I'm to very me. impressed by it, because I, I couldn't and wouldn't. I didn't yeah, catch no. fire. I didn't blow down the house. I didn't break anything. I didn't destroy my... In-laws' house. I even learnt where a fuse box was. Did you have to like use your phone to like check this information? Because I've done this before when doing stuff. Like pull out your phone, like how do I change the fuse and the plug? Like I have no idea. That's what phones and dads are for. Yeah. It was straight on yeah. the phone to my dad. It was like, Dad, there's three red wires and three black wires. Why are there so many wires for one night? Did you feel like you're diffusing a bomb? Yeah, I feel like this is a mission impossible. <laughs> yeah. The red or wire. Well, because my parents' house. This is going to get really, really technical and nerdy now, and I apologise. Good job we're doing right, a geek team. Yeah, it's cool. So basically, in old, old wiring, apparently, you used to get multiple red wires and multiple black wires, but one of the black wires is a live wire and the other two are neutral wires. And how are you supposed to tell the difference? You can't. There's one way. Well, I'm stuck. I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm stuck because I'm colourblind. So basically what's happened is there's two main ring mains coming into this line because of well, the way you loop lights. And then for the switch, there's a red and black wire for the switch. But that's a live connection because the switch turns basically loops the wires together. I'm lost. I'm, I've fallen off somewhere here. Yeah. So I was just like looking at it going, how many wires does one light fit in need? Then phoning my dad and he, my dad pretty much rewired the current house he's living in so it was kind of yeah do that to them that one goes in there and you're fine why were you collared into doing this activity on your good friday because i broke the light the week before (laughs) (laughs) that sounds like the more interesting story now we've got to the root of it how did that happen we stopped over at my mom and dad's last weekend uh, his mom and dad's last weekend i was taking my shirt off to take a shirt they had they had the old style rose light ceiling lights which keith will remember from his youth and it's like based like a glass bowl, but with like the oak. Can we, can, can we predict what happened next, Dick? Can we all go around the room and predict what happened next? You've given us the setup. Yep. I want to I predict. I think that you 
for I think that you you were trying to impress Viv by being topless and then swung his shirt in the air like oh look at me like from an 80s film and then whacked the light in the process it's not risky business guy that's my guess Keith <laughs> when, I'm just going to go with the, the straightforward approach of as he took his shirt off he, he put his arm up and punched the light <laughs> Yeah, same. It's it's easily done. I put my hand on a ceiling fan if you want to go. <laughs> Keith and Phil are quite close, but I caught the edge of it, and basically the plastic in the light was that old. It basically like it, no, the plastic snapped, so the whole glass thing was intact, but it was just hanging a bit loose. So it was kind sort of yeah, that needs to be unplugged and taken down. Send basically the fit the new light to replace it. Were you all sheepish around uh, around his parents afterwards because you broke something? In no, the I manned up and I owned it. Because that, that's the worst thing you can do is when you when you do something wrong. It was like it when I walked in. <laughs> <laughs> that's the thing. With mum and dad's house is quite large, and they have multiple bathrooms, so it's not a bathroom that they would use often themselves. So it could have been I could have gone, oh, that that's been like that for a couple of weeks. Oh. <laughs> but no, I thought I've hit it. I'll own up to it. Because I really hate people who do that. Like break stuff and then just don't mention it. That's more annoying than anything else. I mean, I've never done that. Everything's always just been. It was like it was always just like that when I, like that when I found it. I I broke a picture frame in Laura's house and said I'll replace the glass, but haven't. But I noticed the picture's been hung back on the wall without glass. <laughs> and I've never admitted that I did it. Well, no, Laura knows I did, but her parents don't know I did it. Well, they do now. <laughs> oh, Man's not going to listen to this podcast. Oh, guys, what's this ribbing you've been talking about? Oh, God. <laughs> Can I just ask if there was much swearing involved in your DIY? Because I find that if I do DIY around my house, there's a lot of swearing. Oh, yeah, there was there was multiple swearings. There was almost punching at one point because the wiring is from the seventies. It's knackered my the tips of my thumbs trying to press these ancient wires. Oh dear, into poor Jane. baby. Oh. Knackered the tips of my thumbs. It's really the weirdest injury ever. <laughs> oh, I've got no feelings in the tips of my thumbs. They were like buzzing for like the day. Really hurt. Since you moved into your house, I'm really, really waiting to hear your manual labour stories. Well, you're yeah, just going to get Nigel to do it all for you. Yeah, just call my dad or Laura's dad and have to do it all. Call the landlord. That's how that works. No, I just thought I've achieved something myself. I, I haven't built any of the furniture in my house. Our parents have done it all for us. That that's been great. Wait, what's going to happen in about twenty years when you like things? Parents might be in nursing old, homes and stuff. Hire a builder or something. Um, uh, the only thing I've done is I nailed a picture to the wall. But when I did, did you when, did you hit a pipe? Well, did when, you <laughs> electrocute yourself? When I put the tack in, I knocked some of the the the, uh, the paintwork off. So like <laughs> I couldn't cut underneath the picture. It's quite a big mark on the wall now, which uh, isn't so going to go down. That well. picture's staying there until you move out. Yeah, pretty yeah. much. Yeah, and also I haven't put it on very well, so the picture keeps going a little bit on the side. Yeah. I didn't think that through. You might want to purchase the wonderful 3M control strips that you can get. That mm. you just put it with. They're brilliant. I use I, them I, I, all no, the time. No, they're not. Because I was trying to put something up with on those yesterday. And I could not for the life of me get it all worked out and straight. They're, they're, they're silly. I think that's they're more of an issue silly. with you rather than the actual product. Did you read the instructions? Yeah. They're silly. Now, that's not a word I use lightly. <laughs> Weird news. I found some bobby pearlers this week. But who uses the term bobby pearlers? What is a bobby pearler? I'm half expecting that to be on the titles in the bag in my barbecue in the garden. Is that the guy from, um, he used to do Bargain Hunt? 
Do you mean Bobby Dazzlers? Bobby Dazzlers, yeah. Bobby Dazzlers. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to Google that. David Dickinson. Yes. To write Bobby Dazzler. Yeah. He, he looks like he's made from teak, so I take no opinion from that man. I bet, I bet he's got Bobby Perlers as teeth, to be fair. Bobby Everybody's Googling this, and it's going to turn <laughs> out to be some Saturday night TV presenter. No, that's Callan Danes. <laughs> Could you imagine Callan Danes presenting Saturday night TV? Well, they're getting Basil Brush to present the next generation game, so... With Melon Sue. I thought you were going to say with a melon. No. So, it's Melon Sue and Basil Brush. Um, I'm really happy I just don't watch, like... Saturday night TV. TV anymore. Like, yeah, I've said it before. I will say it again. Saturday night TV is punishment for not having better plans. I like casualty. So, are we ready for our four news stories? Four, four. Mm. Um, with it. Just, just so you know, Ron, Bobby Perler, Bobby Perler is some medical, I think, <laughs> but I can't load up the page. Right from Time.com, man who discovered Leonardo da Vinci drawing worth millions seems pretty chill about it. Okay. From The Guardian. Vatican to hold exorcist training courses after rising possessions. From ReviewGeek.com. Do not connect an Alexa to the flamethrower like this guy did. Uh-huh. Oh my god. And from SFGate.com. Former offspring d- drummer turned OBGYN saves juror during his own Bay Area mal- malpractice trial. Wow. Okay, I, I lose. <laughs> There's a lot to take in with that. Do you want me to recap that headline just once more time for you? Yes, just get a little bit slower. Former offspring drummer turned OBGYN saves juror during his own Bay Area malpractice trial. I love that a guy who was in the you know famous band from the sort of turn of the millennium offspring <laughs> then became an OBGYN where he helps women deliver their offspring. That is adorable. But also not very good at it because there was a malpractice suit. So <laughs> yeah. I need, I need. More but he saved a juror at the same time. I need to. Hear I mean, this. if there's going to be any way to convince the jury that you're good at your job, it's saving one of the jurors during the trial. Can I tell a rather embarrassing story about myself, which involves the offspring? Go on. I Give quite, it to me, baby. I'm. <laughs> oh, I, ho, oh ho ho. I used to really like the offspring, and I think back and I think why? Because they had sounds like original, original prankster. I think to myself, why did I like this band? But anyway, I was so into the offspring that I tried to copy the hairstyle of the lead singer, Dexter <gasps> Holland, and had spiky hair for a while at school. Did you have it like bleach blonde as well? No, oh, but because my hair is like naturally goes like quite straight and it goes down. Um, it was like spikes, which by the end of the day would just like flop over. Oh. So it was the, it was the weirdest haircut I've ever had. But I was influenced by the offspring to have a haircut and. That was a large, embarrassing time of my life. Like, why the hell did I think spiky hair was a done thing? But everyone did. Everyone had, like, hair that was just gelled to oblivion. Yeah, I guess. It was like, you know, the, the higher the points, the closer to God. True. I think Ryan bleached his hair blonde once, from what I remember. I bleached it blonde. I tried to put red tips in. The red tips didn't work, and my hair turned to carrot orange. I looked like <laughs> Ronald McDonald for a week. That's <laughs> it basically just shaved my head. I, I, All photos from this period have been destroyed. <laughs> I, uh, so during my long hair phase, I tried to put in like bleach blonde streaks, but it went like bright, bright yellow. Um, so then I dyed my hair black to cover it up, but where the streaks had been, my hair went white 
So I, <laughs> I looked like Rogue from X-Men, except within the white streaks, there were streaks of like silver, blue, and green. So then I had to um, dye it a sort of like a dark brown Do on remember? top of that to just cover it all up. And then in the end, I just like cut it all off. I think there's always <laughs> one kid in school who always went for the beach blonde, but you could tell the blonde had never really taken, so it turned green. Oh, that, yeah. Like that really terrible yeah. greeny colour, which basically just made you look like you're out of the back of a green tea sample. Mm. I, I have never dyed my hair. My hair is naturally this beautiful colour. Oh, so I've, I've, I've swampy my brown. Hair every colour under the sun. <laughs> I, had a, I had a purple mohawk for a while. That was wow. Fun. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I, I have to say, it was a strong look. Keith, what was your biggest hair disaster? We have seen your your bus pass pictures, so bear that in mind. Well, you look like Nanu Replaner from The Young Ones. I was going to say Deirdre Barlow. I can tell Callum's funny. Still just throwing the shade at everyone. Wow. I think he was looking at the wrong photograph. I don't know. I think every hair thing I've had has been a hair disaster. Generally, uh, <laughs> highlights in the early '80s when I thought looking like Don Johnson in Miami Vice was a cool. Look. Did you did you ever have a perm in the '70s? No. <coughs> That's the one hair thing that I just have n- never understood. Perms they they just seem like an absolute disaster. Tell um, me when you went for Don Johnson. Did you roll your sleeves? Up oh yeah, it? yeah. In a full on in a in a powder suit. in a powder blue jacket. Uh, with a Duran Duran t-shirt on Nice! <laughs> that was cool. Uh, I've had it short and bleached, uh, when I was going through my, uh, what would have been Tim from Spaced phase. Uh, it's been long. I haven't really had much colours because my hair doesn't really take colour very well. I've always wanted it to be blue and spiky like some kind of crazy manga character. Um, but other than that, no. And then kind of like my kind of, uh, Nirvana phase. Grunge. Grunge was the best look for, for me in terms of just long, lank, damp hair. That was good. I like that. Kind of, you know, not guys, luxurious kind of, uh, David Coverdale look. I haven't washed it today, so it's nice and white. That's just an excuse when anybody says anything. Like, I haven't washed it. So you, you did. You styled it and it got damp in the rain. Mm-hmm. <coughs> um, no matter uh, how you would have looked, Keith, I still would have fancied you. Are we ready to return to the actual news story? There was a news story. What yes. was that? Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. Spring drummer, yes. Fashion Brummies back again. Yes, by Michelle Robertson. That's a credible name. A Bay Area obstetrician, gynecologist, and former member of a legendary punk band. Legendary. Right. Go stretching a bit. She's reaching, Your Honour. Legendary and punk. The Offspring were never a punk band. Oh, but it's it's like Blink One Eight Two. They weren't a punk band. But what was the name for those bands that were too like radio friendly to be emo? Pop. Like what, it was pop punk. It was yeah, pop, pop punk. punk yeah. yeah, yeah. Punk. I wouldn't I wouldn't put them in the same league as like any actual proper punk band though. Well, no, because there was nothing punk. About it was basically them, mainly yeah. about being white and rich. Most of them. It was like, yeah, here's a music video shot in like the swimming pool in the back of my gigantic house. I feel like like they recorded a song for you though, Phil. Why don't you get a job? <laughs> anyway. <laughs> He's looking retin- at me full of hate right now. Yes. He's going to beat me up after the show. Proved he retains his DIY sensibility at recent medical malpractice role. DIY sensibility? Apparently, where he saved a prospective juror's life. The judge declared a mistrial fearing the doc's heroics would sway the jury. Well, yeah. If you save someone's <laughs> life, you can't then like send them to the big house, can you? Yes. 
No good deed goes unpunished, Dr. James Lilger, a San Jose and Fremont-based physician and founding drummer of The Offspring, told Law 360 magazine. Lilger left The Offspring in the late 1980s to deliver Offspring. Wait, 1980s? I didn't realise they've been going that long. Yeah, they've been since, since, like the, since about 84. What, what was the name of that magazine again? Law 360. Okay. Lydia faces medical malpractice charges filed by Stephanie Sargiotto and her husband John in Almeda County Superior Court for alleged negligent treatment of Mrs. Sargiotto. Trial proceedings didn't get very far this week after one of more than 35 prospective jurors collapsed, hit his head and lost consciousness. Law 360 reports, Lydia and his nurse assistant rushed from the courtroom to the juror's side and found him without a pulse and not breathing. Lydia and his assistant administered CPR and shocked the man with an automatic external defibrillator. When paramedics arrived, the man remained unconscious but had a pulse. Law 360 said, the condition of the patient is unknown. Hang on a minute. So I really could do that if there were one of those things on site, the defibrillator. Mm. So... The brief act of gallantry led the plaintiff's attorney, Robert G. Schock, to ask Judge Ronnie McLaren for a mistrial. How could the potential jurors not be biased after witnessing the defendant's bold action, Schock argued. Despite the best efforts of Lidge's attorney, Barry C. Marsh of Hinshaw Hill and Hinshaw LMP, sorry, LLP, to argue against the mistrial motion, the judge agreed with shock, arguing that the juror's bias would be incurable. McLaren dismissed 35 jurors and set a new trial date for April the 2nd. Can I ask a question? Why on the article about the offspring is there a video of uh, the band Bad Brains performing live? I have no idea. It's an auto-starting video. Was it? Is it just me, or did 50% of that article seem to be cribbed from another source? Because I had to keep saying every two yes. lines, as as mentioned in Law 360. Or was it an advertisement to get subscri- subscribers for Law 360? I have no idea. But you... Apparently the physician lent his frenetic drawing to the offspring between 1984 and 1987 in an interview 30 years after he left the band. Lent it? Yes. He just, like... It was on loan. He's yeah. like, yeah... Offspring frontman Dexter Holland described his former bandmate as a great guy with a pretty warped sense of humour. The guy was dying to get into medical school. In fact, he was so intent on getting into medical school, he didn't really even practice with us that much. He was then replaced by Ron Welty. Yeah, no one knows who that is. Whenever someone's like, oh yeah, he's got like a really warped sense of humour, that I feel like that they're saying that to maybe try and justify or explain a really racist or misogynist comment that he's made. <laughs> <laughs> The final line of this article sums up the whole point of this article. The Offspring released their ninth album days ago by in 2012. <laughs> I, gee, that, that's the, the biggest shock of the article, the fact that Offspring have released nine albums. Who's buying this? Dave Price, I know you're listening. <laughs> you. But since 1984, they've released nine albums. That's not a good strike, right? Well, considering I really only know them for that one thing, and I think a lot of people probably only know them from Pretty Fly for a white guy. Mm. Yes. Which was... What, 20 years after they'd been started to go? Was it 1999, I think? So yeah, it was, yeah. Like, it was around that so time. So it was 15 yeah. years since they started playing. That's a long... And then, like, yeah, nearly 20 years ago. Yeah, that's a long time to be still playing. Well, maybe they should stop. All right, so do we want Alexa with the flamethrower, yeah. the Vatican exorcist, or do we want... <laughs> Alexa with the flamethrower in the door- drawing room. <laughs> <laughs> Whilst conducting an exorcism in the Vatican. Just merge those two stories together. <laughs> or do we want the pretty chill Leonardo? Yeah, oh, who cares he, about he, Leonardo? Yeah, no, he's kind of pain, he's happy about it, so yeah, yeah. Alexa all the way. He's like, I'm going to make an absolute sh- shed load of <laughs> That was a good save, wasn't it? Save seamless. <laughs> Filth again, Mr. Bloomfield. Filth. Save themselves. These stories make you happen. We have a video. 
Do we want to watch the video? Let's read the story first. Yes. There are a lot of useful gadgets you control with your Alexa. Flamethrowers generally aren't among them. Colin Furs decided to make one anyway, but you probably should. Not Furs. Furs. What did you said, Furs? Okay, just check it's not Colin Fur. Yes. Yeah, fair time between films. Yeah. Playing with his Alexa and a flamethrower. Yep. Imagine Colin Firth walking around with a flamethrower. I'm pretty sure that's like the Kingsman movie. I was going to say, it? wasn't that Kingsman 3? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. But you probably shouldn't make your own. In case you're unfamiliar and with inventor and vlogger Colin Firth, you should know it isn't exactly out of the ordinary forum. He has built himself a name around building outlandish and impractical com- uh, creations such as, for example, a full-size TIE fighter. Nice. Compared to these creations, a lecture power flamethrower is pretty tame. The custom-built flamethrower, which in a fit of irony includes parts from a fire extinguisher, that's not ironic. Somebody really... No, no I'm going to say it is. Yeah, It's like Alanis Morissette ironic levels. Which is not ironic. None of the stuff, <laughs> stuff in that song is ironic. This, this, I've, just, I've just Googled who that fella is. And it's, yeah. it's like... It's like this is like reporting a story that one of the clowns out of Jackass had hit themselves in the nuts with a tennis ball. Yes. It's like, it's, it's, he, that's what he does. He does ridiculous <laughs> things with stuff. It's like, yes. it's like reporting on something. It's like, oh yeah, uh, Susanna Reid was appeared on the TV this morning reporting the news. So what? <laughs> <laughs> what's, what's the story here? Yes. to an idiot. Colin set the flamethrower to respond to commands such as, give me fire and give me fire now. Because when you need fire, it's very important give to get it. Give me fire in, in my heart. <laughs> give me rule, give me fire, give me that which I desire. Yes. <laughs> it's very important you get your fire in a timely fashion. Of course, unless you are Colin Furs or maybe a Mythbuster, hooking Alexa up to a custom-built flamethrower is probably not a good idea. But it's nice to know we live in a future where this is possible. <laughs> is it? Great. Okay. Um, I, I, please. Yes, I was going to say... Alexa doesn't really understand voice commands very well, so I'm assuming he's going to like try and go for his toaster one day and he's going to set the uh, fire off by accident. I mean, yeah, I'm not particularly happy with the idea of lending control of a flamethrower to an AI. Yes. It's not really the best. Just in general, yeah. Do you know what? The guy who lived in my house before could have done that. Yeah. But this is this all this is is he's just done that in order to get a few more thousand subscribers on his YouTube channel so he can make more money to do stupid stuff that we're idiotic enough to watch. And why aren't we doing that ourselves? But you can yeah. always check out why the geeky room. That's, that's <laughs> the way to make a fortune on YouTube. Like we should just do a whole YouTube channel of pushing guy down the stairs. Why not? Why, why, why not about Callan Callan Mulhern to do it? But he's fragile. He'll break easily. He <laughs> fell off his bike and had to go to. Uh, it's gonna say we know he can't do, even deal with a low speed accident he's caused himself. <laughs> you look a robust guy. I, th- I mean, I reckon you could take. Is that way of telling me I'm fat? Put, no, no, I reckon your cowboy boots would make an amazing like noise as we push you. <laughs> the hair and the leopard skin coat would just oh. be such a visual. Imagine that piece. in high speed camera. Like we that. do it in slow mo and then remix it like with like cassette yeah. boy of guy falling down the stairs for the various noises you make as you go. Do you know what? I, I, I'm not happy about the being pushed down, but I like the fact I look so fashionable doing it. <laughs> We could put you into a steamed ham video instead of every time they say steam hams, guy falls down the Son stairs. Miss Vanjie. <laughs> <laughs> so, are you ready for our Vatican exorcist training? From Harriet Sherwood at The Guardian. Sherwood. 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 Sherwood, okay, like Sherwood Forest. Yes. Okay. Critics warn exorcism can be a form of spiritual abuse as priest reports jump in possession claims. Spiritual abuse? Yes. 
Don't be exercising those ghosts. They deserve to be here. And and the perfect picture for this article is apparently a still from The Exorcist. I'll I'll tell you who's getting abused. It's Fanny, where I went ghost hunting, <laughs> being told to push a table over. That ain't no life for a ghost, is it? That, that no is exploitation, isn't it? Ghosts yeah. being exploited for our entertainment. That's shocking. It should ha- be stopped. Hashtag ghost lives matter. <laughs> ghost deaths matter. Yeah. <laughs> the Vatican is to hold training courses for priests in exorcism next month amid claims that demands for deliverance from demonic possessions have greatly increased across the world. The Vatican-backed International Association of Exorcists which represents more than 200 Catholic, Anglican, and Orthodox priests, said an increase represented a pastoral emergency. <laughs> I'm hoping there's like a beacon. It's like they've slapped a button somewhere on a desk in, a vac- in the Vatican and a, like, a new beacon light started up <laughs> with a pastoral emergency written about it. It's like you get the Pope come down like Batman on a pole. <laughs> this is like authorized more existence. In the Pope Mobile, yeah. <laughs> yes. According to a priest from Sicily, the number of people politically claimed to be possessed had tripled to 500,000 in a year. And an, oh, Irish, people and an Irish priest has said demand for exorcism has risen exponentially. Last year, the Christian think tank Theos reported exorcisms were a booming industry in the UK, particularly among Pentecostal t- churches. It's being described as an industry. Like, I work in the exorcism industry. Can you imagine, like, their... The exorcism industrial complex. Can you imagine, like, their conference? <laughs> is this just because, like... How to throw holy water right? <laughs> is this just because alien abductions have gone on strike, so they're kind of... The, yeah. the possessions are taking the slack off. People are going to be like, basically, it's like, oh, oh God, I voted for Trump and I really regret it. I was possessed, it wasn't me. <laughs> Some warn that deliverance ministry can be a form of spiritual abuse. Critics also say that LGBT people and those with mental health issues are targeted for deliverance in the belief that their sexuality or psychiatric problems are the result of demonic possession. Oh, for sure, yeah. There are, like, weird churches who think that um, people are gay because uh, evil spirits enter them. Shocking. Yeah. The Vatican training course, which will be held at the Pontifical Anathium Regina Apostolorium, in Rome between the 16th and 21st of April will focus on exorcism and the prayer of liberation, a prayer commonly used for deliverance from possession. Do you know if they're going to do that live on the web? I'd quite like to do that as a webinar. Live stream. Yeah, I reckon I could do a side career as an an exorcist. The power of something compels you. (laughs) The the fight against evil... are we, hang on, why is it it the fight against evil? Why are we assuming all of these possessions are bad? Because it, it could be like a nice ghost going, you know, I want to get it on again because yes. I've been dead well, for yeah, a long I mean, time. Like, I'm just going to possess somebody. Fanny seemed all right to me. She yeah. wants to just be in the bar, you know, kicking around. That's yes. just a generalisation. That's stereotyping exorcisms as being yes. evil. The fight against the evil one started at the origin of the world and is destined to last until the end of the world, Friar Cesar Truki said to one of the speakers. But today we're at a stage crucial in history. Many Christians are no longer believing the devil's existence. Few exorcists are appointed, and there's n- there are no more young priests willing to learn the doctrine and practice of the liberation of souls. It just like, gets worse and worse and worse. This is like the weirdest LARPing ever. <laughs> <laughs> like these guys, these, these are grown men who think they're Buffy the Vampire Slayer. <laughs> the shortage of clergy trained in exorcism has apparently led to a growing number of independent operators in Europe who will rid people and properties of demons for up to a five hundred euros a time. Yeah, I'm a I'm a freelance exorcist. <laughs> I really, really want someone to use the name Ghostbusters. No, no Ghostbusters. Oh. But somebody ha- but said the demoniacs suffer a lot. Oh. 
Which sounds like an Animaniacs spin-off. Also, on a side note, Homebase is the most disastrous retail acquisition in the UK ever. There we go. Yes. And apparently all Good Friday fights were cancelled after a standstill bus ignited. I thought for a second then you said all Good Friday fights. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, the tradition of a Good I was Friday fight. I was going to beat you up, but it's Good Friday, so I'm not going to bother. <laughs> In the spirit of Bobot skins, I'm not going to do it. Bobot skins? <laughs> <laughs> Helen Mirren's like the, uh, what, what's it called, like the ring girl. <laughs> <laughs> I think we leave weird news there for this week. Ready Player One. So Keith and I went to watch it with our eyes last night <laughs> at the cinema. Did you not get to an audio described uh, screening? No, but it was at Cineworld on Broad Street and it was in screen one, fittingly. Keith, I'm going to let you lead on this. I was coming to this with no prior knowledge. So I hadn't read the book. I know a few of you have read the book. Um, so I've come at it purely from the, the cinematic take on it. And I, 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 I enjoyed it. I thought it was um, very Spielberg in its nature, uh, kind of riffing off the whole kind of feel I got from watching things like Goonies and Batteries Not Included and all that kind of stuff. Um, and I thought it treated the subject really well and not just focusing on the 80s, but the fact that it was looking back across all of kind of uh, pop culture yeah, from from quite far back, you know, references in there to kind of George Powell's War of the Worlds, uh, right through to kind of the modern kind of things yeah. with the, with the yeah. Overwatch stuff. So I think it appealed to a lot of uh, people, really. I think it did a, a really good job of capturing that sense of all of these uh, things that have been created in the last, in the kind of the 20th century, 21st century. These things that we, we, we hold dear to ourselves as part of our identities. Um, I don't know whether that's, that's in the original book, but I can't, I, for me, there was this thing about celebrating uh, creativity and the invention of stories and characters and people and things that we uh, assume part of, they become part of us. Our, our heroes and um, cultural linchpins influence and change us and make us who we are, hopefully, for the better. Because um, one of the underlying mes- messages within the film was about not relying on that fake escapism. Uh, escapism and actually take these things. There's good things to be said about the Iron Giants and, and video games that you play and the books that you read, but you need to take that and, and pass it on into the real world and take those things that you hold dear, you know, the ideas of the, the, the stories and standing for good and, and being right and kind of protecting people and all of that kind of stuff, and but actually making use of that and, and applying it to the real world. So I kind of enjoyed it. I thought there was quite a lot of levels to it that you're not seeing on the first watching because you're just going oh man cool it's robocop it's the iron giant it's this that and the other but i think on multiple watches i think we'll get a lot more from it it felt very different to the trailer which we spoke at a few months ago because the trailer was just pop culture reference pop culture reference pop culture reference pop culture reference and it was nothing about the story i mean it's basically taken the book and thrown i'd say a good 90 to 95 percent of the book away all that is there is the bare bones of how the the competition runs basically and how the oasis works in society uh ioi is completely different the way they treat it in the book versus in the film it it felt very much like it was in mark rylance's character's head for the entire film that's what the oasis is it's basically this party playground where you can go off be anybody you want to be do anything you want to do and there's no real consequence to that except your character might get zeroed out and they have to start again from the beginning 
the way I described it was I was whelmed. I, it wasn't. <laughs> I wasn't underwhelmed. I wasn't overwhelmed. It was. It was a B movie. It was B. It was a good film. It it it's your typical Spielberg movie. You get the usual typical Spielberg character progression throughout it and and it's this whole thing about Wade's learning about being he starts off as this completely solo person with a group of friends and it becomes pretty much teamwork by the end of the movie and it's kind of him learning that he can rely on other people to help you out and deal with things but I was it felt flat at the same time I mean two thirds of the film is in the Oasis you don't really get much of the real world I mean, pretty much most of the real world stuff, it was me and Keith and my wife nudging each other and going, Birmingham, Birmingham, <laughs> Birmingham on screen. And it is quite noticeable when you can see the little bits of Birmingham. So if you are from Birmingham, you're going to be like... <gasps> well, there's one, there's one major sequence when you can see behind the, the, the character's shoulders. You can yeah. see the, the back of uh, the, the pavilions and yeah. uh, kind of like the student accommodation. That got behind uh, the mass one circus. shot with the car chasing, you can see the yeah. corner of the library of Birmingham. And it's like, it's really, it's quite touching to see how much. And it was... Uh, Phil, you hated the book. I did, and so I have. I, I'll admit I haven't seen the film because my dislike of the book runs so deeply. Mm-hmm. Um, but what you're both saying um, is encouraging because, you, yeah, you're making it sound like everything I disliked about the book, they've managed to kind of weed it out. So it's not fetishizing sort of nerd knowledge and making yeah. and making that you know you, you feel special because you've seen a movie or something. Yeah. Um, and and, and uh, you were saying also the character of Artemis is a lot more fleshed out because she's this kind of really oh. sexist caricature in the novel. Yeah, it's funny you say that kind of the geek knowledge thing because it almost goes deliberately to go actually the answers to the riddles aren't in the geek knowledge. It's, yeah, it's, it's knowing about the character and yeah. knowing about it's, and, and it's and it's not a pl- not playing by the rules and not doing the things that yeah. you're expected to do. The, the, all of them literally go. You do the thing that. You're not supposed to. You do the thing that other yeah. people would go, what are you doing that for? You're not doing it properly. You're not doing it right. You've got to do it this way. So I kind of like that whole of that whole well, approach of like going, actually, you do what you do. Yeah. And that's cool. Don't don't worry about what other people are trying to make you do and trying to tell you. So I yeah. think... And, and there's a quite a bit of establishing movements. This is a very slight spoiler. But at the very start of it, you've got the two characters. You've got Mark Rylance and Simon Pegg. It's a bit where they're like talking to each other about the start of the forming of Gregorius Games. And Mark Rylance's character I've completely forgotten. It's gone out of my head now. What's his name? You've got Ogden Morrow and the other founder of... Halliday. James Halliday. And you've got Halliday, and Halliday says, there are no rules. And that's kind of ref- referred back to. It's like, I don't want rules. I do I do quite like the whole uh, fact that Mark Rylance's character is just riffing off <laughs> Garth Algar from Wayne's World. Throughout, throughout the, or every time he, I saw him, it was just like, I'm just waiting for him to ultimate- go, fuck's it. Yeah, it's just like he's the ultimate hipster in this, isn't it? It's a kind of it's a guy who's yeah. made something by accident, and they riff off the whole Silicon Valley world as well. And there's again slightly spoiler in this bit where they say, oh, "Reach under your headset uh, under your seat yeah, to find your headset," there. and uh, there's like, "Oh, there's nothing there. We'll bring one out for you in a minute." <laughs> where it just like took the took it out of. It was like a Silicon Valley episode that mm-hmm. little. But I, I can see why you say like it's a it's a it's a B movie. It's not the best film in the world. It's yeah. it's, it's good, and I, and I think it's good solid entertainment. It's one of those films that I I think I'll come back to in the same way I come back to things like Goonies and Gremlins and Back and, to the Future because I just uh, you'll sit there and you'll go this I'm, I'm enjoying this. It's kind of like it's fun. 
and the vast majority of references with the pop culture stuff, it's in the background and it's not really mentioned. It's like the focus on the characters and you'll see something out the corner of your eye and it, that's quite well done. Although, for me, there is that the vindication of the fact of being a fan of Buckaroo Banzai since <laughs> since 1984. <laughs> actually, there's a major mainstream movie that goes, actually, Buckaroo Banzai. Buckaroo. <laughs> Buckaroo Banzai is cool. It's like, yeah, yes, it's, this is good. It's Jeff Goldblum dressed as a cowboy. <laughs> no, there's no Jeff Goldblum. Oh, but there might me. be. There might well be somewhere you know, in the somewhere background. in the background. The Hong Kong Cavaliers are yeah. visible at some point, which wouldn't surprise me. But I do want a kind of a Blu-ray in a very kind of Edgar Wright style of like literally, it's going to take you twelve hours to watch it because we're going to go through and freeze frame and stop yeah. and say there is so much is stuff hidden that. in the background, and it is amazing how much they've tried to squeeze into this movie, which is not even on screen for more than a second. I'd say after stuff. But I love the message of this film. The message of the film is you can go be geeky, you can go have fun, you can go and enjoy a film, but you've still got to come back to reality at one point. And I yeah, think I that think... was the kind of the whole message of the film is like go and revel and enjoy and yeah, be, be, and make friendships and be a geek and but... enjoy this thing and tell your references to your friend. But at the end of the day, you've still got to go out, you've still got to live, you've yeah. got to work, you've got to eat. But that's married with this idea of creative people. Yes, there's a thing. There, all of these people are creative. They're creating characters. You know, there, there's a there's a celebration of kind of like you can make stuff up and you can tell stories and you can create art and you can do and because all the graffiti and all the stuff that's in the yeah. background and the kind of like the the building of the stacks. So however it is, oh. there's something in there about the the joy and the need in our world for creativity and imagination well i'd say the real world is the bit where you can see the creativity and imagination because everything in oasis is usually a riff off something that's previously been there i mean we mentioned there's loads of references you'll get you'll get the iron giant in it quite a lot you'll get lots of references to previous video games movies and that was all kind of this is the past where it was in the real world it was kind of this is people being creative outside of the oasis i just think about creating new stories and new characters and not relying on the on the ones from the past, I think, yeah. is really good. Um, but yeah, I thought it was. I thought it was. A, it's. A, it's. A, there's more in it than you, you'll see on first view. Yeah. I think. It, I think this has got. This film has got legs. Yeah. It wasn't the kind of like. Yeah, this is cool. I'll watch it once and I'll. It, yeah, it's a film to watch on repeated viewings. I think because yeah. if you want to, if you do want to delve in and find all those hidden references and find that love, it's it's worth a rewatch. I think it? having a director like Spielberg, yeah, do it has helped it no end i think if it had if it had been done by anybody else i think we would have ended up something that was a little bit more uh um, fisted yeah and kind of tied more to the book where spielberg's kind of looked at the overarching idea of it i mean yeah. some people have said it's like a hook for for for, for us now and yeah. i'm not so sure I, I like that kind of comparison yeah. um but i love hook and i and i think oh. i'm i'm going to find this one on repeat viewing one of the things as well the film scoring is oh yeah alan silverstreet has done an amazing job with this yeah and you'll get so many little callbacks, which are just tiny references to previous 80s, 90s, 60s, 70s pop yeah. culture. And you'll just hear it and it'll just give you a little bit of a warm glow inside if you recognize where it's from. But I'd say for us, it's a recommend, but don't expect the world from it. I didn't go. Where did you go instead? I, You guys invited me and I said no because I went to go see another film that came out yesterday. Uh, I went to go and see the latest film from Tommy Wiseau and Greg Sestero, Best Friends, which, to my surprise, is a two-part film. Oh, my God. A two-part yeah. film? It's a two-part film. Was so, it like the end of Back to the Future Part 2? 
where it was like it just stops. Yes. And then goes, yeah. And then, then there's a reveal. Yeah. It's yeah. volume two, one. On, and then, honestly. Have you understood it yet? And yeah, I, it, it's bizarre. It's surreal. Um, it, it's what you want from a Sestero, and we're so pairing again. I do like the way you bigged it up as kind of like the latest film from Tommy Mazzu <laughs> and Greg um, Sestero. It's like, well, what? Have I missed a few others? Well, there was <coughs> the other film. Yes. <laughs> I don't. I don't want to give too much away about it because I think people need to go and see it. It's 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 going to be a room type experience. You could put it on a, a double bill showing with room. And it will fit perfectly. There are moments where people were laughing out loud in the cinema, as you'd expect. Um, my best way to describe the film, if I had to sum it up in one line, it's a film about two guys selling gold teeth. Well, it's quite interesting because this is pretty much the other half of the story because uh, The Room was very much Tommy Wiseau's project and Greg Sestero was along for the ride. Whereas this one, Greg Sestero is written and directed, I think. I mean, I know Greg Sestero has come on the show and been interviewed, but I really think neither of them should be writing films or <laughs> making films because they just they just need to realise they're not very good at it. But it's great to watch from oh, a yeah, kind yeah. of bam- you, bystander kind of view. Yeah, if you can find a, a local place that's showing it this weekend, go and see it. Um, but bear in mind, you will have to pay to go and see a sec- another another two hours of this story, which doesn't even warrant an hour, really. Where Where did you see it? The Mockingbird. Okay, cool. I guess kicking off with a, an obvious question to start with: um, How have you been enjoying yourself, and what's the experience of Comic Cons like for you? Uh, well, I've really been enjoying this one. I, I came with my son, actually. Uh, <clears throat> my wife didn't want to come. She's busy with so much stuff at home that she couldn't get away. So, yeah, this is this has been great. We went to Birmingham yesterday, and I saw the uh, the art gallery, all the pre-Raphaelites. I saw a Bergeau painting right in front of me. That was pretty amazing. It's been a good experience so far. And the show has been great. It's a big show. It's a big turnout. Everybody's been enthusiastic. I'm glad I came. Obviously, when you're at shows like this, meeting fans is a big part of the experience for fans and for you, I'd imagine. I'm curious, of all the amazing series you've worked on, all the great characters whose stories you've been a part of, what are the most common ones that fans want to chat about and what do they ask about when they get to meet you at places like this? Uh, well, Batman's a big one for sure. Uh, I think uh, Tom King that uh, I did Batman with, he's he's been taking off in such a big way. People want to hear what it's like working with him. And Jeff Johns, I did a, a book called uh, Forever Evil with him. People want to know what he's like and you know how he is to work with. That's I would say the questions that I get the most, uh, aside from questions just about my own artwork, are you know writers that people are big fans of. They want to know you know what's what's it like working with them. What's uh, what goes on in their head. Seems how it's what people are always asking you. We should probably ask you now. You talk about that Batman collaboration in particular, and then again, just you know how how much of a joy it is for you as a creator. It was. I didn't know what to expect going into it. I was um, actually not familiar with with Tom King's writing when I first started. So I read a bunch of his stuff he had done. Uh, the Vision was still coming out from Marvel and I was getting a lot of attention. And I, I kind of live under a rock sometimes, you know, when it comes to new things coming out. So I, I went and bought those and it's just really smart. <laughs> I want to say emotionally deep, it sounds so... But really it was. It was It was just incredible stuff. And the Batman thing that he did, I wasn't sure what to expect. I thought it might be a little bit more slow paced like that, but he really geared it toward my strengths. It's something he's great with. So, uh, you know, I had Batman on the back of an airplane trying to stop it from crashing into Gotham City. So I'd never drawn anything like that. So it was a challenge. It was it was great. He really, he was good at bringing me out of my comfort zone, but keeping me in a place where I, I could do my best work. Still stay with Tom King. Now, I think Tom King's one of these artists, one of these writers, sorry, um, who, who does work with, with an artist's strengths. 
But what were some of those challenges? Because I think he's very great with street-level relationships, if you see what I mean. He seems mm-hmm. to be building in Batman, like in The Vision, the sort of relationship we can all relate to, whether you're a billionaire or whether you're a robot. And so I'm wondering how maybe it challenged you as an artist to get you out of that comfort zone, those quieter moments. I've, I've done work with writers before. Like Brian Bendis is, is phenomenal at, at character writing. With Bendis, it felt so natural just doing that stuff because he's so good at at dialogue and describing emotion. I, the characters just felt real for me. And Tom really, I, I think, has that same... Uh, he's a very different kind of writer, really. Uh, it's more more fast-paced and... I'm not qualified well, to, you know to describe I, the difference <laughs> between writers, but, you know, they really... They both have that that quality of just, yeah. you know, great characterization. And I think with with Tom, with, uh, with Bendis, it was my first time really working with a writer that, that did that to that extent, so it was a real learning curve for me. And with Tom, it was kind of similar. I wanted to try and take it to the next level. I really wanted to make my characters as individual as possible. I tend to draw the same face a lot. I wanted to try and get away from that as much as I could. Gotham and I, Girl worked, I felt. Well, thank you. I really thank did. You. I saw a really emotional character. Thank you. I was, you know, I was looking at Tangled. But you remember the, the yeah, Tangled yeah. movie? And I loved the the girl in that movie. So I was, I was using a lot of that and trying to be, you know, influenced by like a little more animation and... You know, I love the the overacting. When it's done well, you know, I tend to be a little more stayed with my emotion. I'm not good at it. That's what I'm trying to say. <laughs> so I, I've been, yeah, I tried very, very hard with Batman to, you know, it's Batman. It's, you know, it's it's a character that's natural for me because he always just scowls. But I didn't want to just do that because Tom just brought so much more to it. I wanted to try as much as I could to compliment his writing on it. And one more question for all the people because I'm aware that I'm monopolizing. No brainer, really. How do you feel about Bendis coming to DC? I'm absolutely thrilled. I can't wait to see some of the stuff he's going to do. I've been a huge Bendis fan for years and years, and it's stunning that they they managed to get him to come over. Uh, You know, DC has such great characters, and I think it's time. You know, Bendis on uh, Superman. You know, if anybody could make Superman. Superman's great. He's iconic, but it's it's been tough to make him a, a really top seller. And I think Bendis is going to do that. I think he's going to pull it off. Um, do you have uh, a favorite character yourself from your body of work? Uh, well, Batman, of course. You know, Moon Knight, I love. When I first took on Moon Knight, I did it actually because I was under contract with Marvel and I really wanted to do Batman, <laughs> truthfully. <laughs> you know, I wasn't really that familiar, but by the end of it, I was a huge Moon Knight fan and I miss Moon Knight all the time. Uh, Wolverine over at Marvel, I'm a big fan of. Uh, really, any character that is, you know, angry and scowls a lot, pretty much. If I can draw them in the rain, you know. Like, I would love to do the Hulk, except that the Hulk is Bruce Banner so often. It's tough, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I love Lobo. All the old Simon Bisley Lobo stuff. I don't know if you remember that okay. stuff, but yeah, I'm a huge Simon Bisley fan, so I'd love to do a Lobo book someday. I actually, the whole time I was at DC, I kept mentioning that, but... It's a tough sell, you know. Yeah. Any further development on the Moon Knight film? Because I know James Gunn tweeted about a year ago that he was he was, he was pitching that to Marvel, wasn't he? Oh, really? Well, I'm not in the loop on that one. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. I actually I didn't even know that. I'd be thrilled to see it, and hopefully, it looks exactly like my Moon Knight. Yeah. That would be nice. Uh, probably not, but it would be cool. I'm talking about selling, I think obviously you mentioned that um, it's an interesting time, I guess, for comics. They're becoming even more part of our genre and other medium. But then there's always the question about sales, and particularly you mentioned you know, even iconic characters like Superman, how you continue to make those relevant and how you keep them selling to the same level that they're expected to. Mm-hmm. Can you talk about the, the, I guess, the business side of the industry and how you see that changing, how optimistic you are about that? Comics are the influence, the cultural influence that, that we have, that comics have, you know, is so far beyond what it was when I 
first got into comics, uh, it was it was just comic books, you know, which we had a decent audience, but it was very underground. Whereas now it's it's become mainstream in a way that I never expected to see. It's incredible. On the other hand, uh, the actual comic sales are pretty much what they have always been. You know, the, the people that read the books, are, it's a different audience than it's, you know, there's a lot of crossover in the audience, but the people that actually specifically read the books are, are different than the people that just want to go see the movies. And we haven't really been able to grow in a way that I would, I, I thought maybe we would. I thought, you know, all these people watching the movies would flood into comics and it hasn't happened that way. But we still, we've had, I think, a strong core uh, audience that hasn't gone away and has been pretty loyal to us. And, you know, I, I think our way of maintaining that audience is to just reboot every two years. It seems like what we do. Yeah. You know, I, I don't know. I, I, I'm not a businessman. And there's so many ideas people come up with. I thought, wow, this is going to fail. There's no way it's going to work. And it's huge. And other things I think, well, this, is, this is a great idea. How could it fail? And it, so, yeah, I don't know. I just draw the pictures. And you mentioned that word loyalty. Um, I think also, particularly in the cinematic landscape, we see this kind of rivalry or perceived rivalry between the different studios. And I'm curious as a creator and in the comic industry, as someone who's jumped back and forth between different places throughout your career, if that's a real thing or if that's just something that, you know, that exists within the fan community. I, you know, I'd say it's a it's a real thing and it's not at the same time, you know, which when I first got to Marvel, my first editor was Mike Martz. And when I first got to DC, my first editor there was also Mike <laughs> Martz. So, uh, and, you know, we're all comic fans and we're all, I mean, it's, we're all so similar. And, you know, comic fans just in general, and uh, we're a pretty polite group. So I would say that, yeah, it's, it's not really, uh, you know, for professionals and for editors, uh, there's not really that schism where we, you know, have like opposing teams. But at the same time, you know, uh, there is a lot of competition, and you know, on a publishing level, certainly there's a history of animosity at times. What are you reading at the moment? I'm reading Preacher again, actually, right now. That's uh, so right now. That's that's actually what I've been reading. Any reason why you might be reading Preacher again? Is there anything you might be working on? Uh, actually, no, no. Um, right. So it's just to enjoy you with it. I, well, you know, I uh, had a, a dinner last year with uh, with Garth Ennis, and we were talking for quite a while, and it was making me think about it. And I've got the huge collection at home, and I loved it, so it just got me reading it again. I, <laughs> The um, Greg Capullo, Scott Snyder, Batman, I keep reading constantly because I follow artists. I really don't follow writers. So, you know, for me, it's a, I, I open a book because I love the artwork and I find something like Greg Capullo is, is such a great storyteller that I find myself reading it. Next thing you know, I'm reading, you know, like half the, the run. It happens to me all the time. And other artists I love just for, you know, individual images. Yeah. So, yeah, it depends. But usually when I start reading a comic, it's just on a whim. I don't really look for comics like I, I don't really go to the comic store and, and buy comics to read enough I should more you know when I first got into this I was uh, everything that I bought I was such a huge fan of like all the early image stuff that was totally unreadable I love that stuff <laughs> you know so I miss that a little bit and probably more than anything what I'm reading right now is all of uh, Meredith my wife her stuff I, I uh, read all of it just you know she just wants a second ear before she turns it in so I'm reading that stuff <laughs> yeah, I'm curious when you're at events like this. I'm sure one of the most common things people ask you is advice. Uh, people who want to follow in your footsteps, both as storytellers and as illustrators. Um, do you have bits of advice that you would offer to people who want to, particularly working, I guess, for the major studios rather than just working on their own things? Well, certainly working for the major studios is the most important uh, 
well, really, the most important piece of advice is meet a deadline if you agree to a deadline because that will kill your career faster than anything, just blowing a deadline and, and leaving an editor in the lurch. They never forget that. Um, but, as, you know, aside from professionalism, the most important thing is you can draw in just about any style and they're actually, they're, they look for inventive different styles. It's, it's a nice thing to have. I mean, they also look for familiarity. But you need to make sure that if you're drawing Spider-Man, for instance, it looks and moves like Spider-Man, and a Spider-Man fan can open it up and say, okay, this is the Spider-Man that I know, or the Wolverine, or the you know, Batman, or Wonder Woman. That's what's important. It, no matter how different the styles are, it just needs to, it needs to be recognizable for fans as the characters. When, when people show you their portfolios, what are the most common mistakes you think people make when they're putting together their portfolios? Is it too much of the same? Is it too much variety on the personality? Uh, I would say the most common mistake, having 100 pages of, of material is not such a great thing, especially the, I think the most, sometimes people come up and, and the first pages are pages they did years ago, and then it slowly comes to the newest stuff, and you really want to lead with the stuff that you're doing uh, most recently, because people want to see what you're going to do, not, not what you did you know, a few years ago. Uh, and then... You need to have backgrounds, and they need to be varied. You need to show that you can draw cars and trees and uh, interiors of apartments, and make everything look like a you know a real place that you know has a personality. It's very very important. It's not really the most important thing you can do as a comic artist is draw you know that great character and make them look iconic and, and interesting. But they need to have an environment that's believable, and I, a lot of times that can be very skated through. Which so yeah. You've been signing here this weekend. Um, is there is there anything maybe older works that surprises you that people bring in? Yeah, you know, I, I saw I did a Soul Saga cover. It was a Stephen Platt book, and it was it was a painting that I was trying to do like a Drew Struzan style. Kind of worked. Anyway, I haven't seen that in fifteen years. I couldn't believe it. I <laughs> I didn't think anybody had it. So yeah, I signed one of those today. That was a shock. Every once in a while, somebody will come up with it. I did Cyber Force years and years ago. This would have been you know. Or 95, 94, 95, long time ago. And so, yeah, every time I see that, you know, it's always kind of refreshing. Sorry. Uh, uh, so just a question that might interest you. So obviously Marvel's doing posters, there's been a back in terms of doing the Iron Man on this. Do you think post, you know, Infinity Wars, that there's much replaceable content films, comic films in the cinema, or do you think this is not going to fatigue? Well, I certainly hope that we never get to a fatigue. I really do. I think Marvel's been incredibly good at putting out the Avengers and putting out Iron Man, but then putting out Black Panther, you know, which is such a different kind of a project. And then, or Ant-Man, again, mm -hmm. like such a totally different kind of project where, or, well, uh, Guardians of the Galaxy. I think it does it a bit of a disservice to just say that it's a comic film because it, it really, they are so different. And, you know, by the time the next Thor movie comes out, uh, I know for me, I was thrilled. I was excited about it. I loved the movie. It was, you know, it helps that they're great movies. But yeah, they they really have been changing it up. They don't just go with the the obvious choices. Mm -hmm. So, you know, and uh, DC's actually had a pretty good amount of success just doing different kinds of projects. So I, I there is a point. I'm sure at some point we'll hit comic fatigue, and you know, I mean, westerns didn't last forever. But I, I certainly have my fingers crossed that we'll be around for a long time. And obviously, um, with Black Panther, there's been a lot of talk about how wonderful that is in terms of a watershed moment. But in a comic landscape, there's also been the other side of that coin, which is that there's been a lot of commentary about how 
attempts to over-politicize uh, certain particularly established characters have maybe turned audiences off and comic fans off. And I, I guess, I mean, just in a general sense, how do you feel about mm -hmm. that? Are comics entertainment and escapism, or do they need to reflect real-world politics and have those kind of messages as prominently as we're now seeing them, particularly in some of the Marvel characters? Uh well, I think there's room for both. You know, I think that if uh, a creator really has a political viewpoint that they want to get across, I mean, comics are a great venue for it. And, I, and we're not just a child's medium. I think really we're, we are also a child's medium. That's not really what. So, yeah, I, I think that it does that very, very well. Um, and I think it's maybe a little unfair to just say that, you know, comics are too political when there's there's so many comics that aren't political. If that's if that's your choice. And there are comics that are. I think there's there's a, there's something for everyone. A couple of questions about Wonder Woman. Um, what differences does it make working with your wife as a collaborator as opposed to someone like Tom King, let's say? You know, it's fairly similar, really. Uh, the, I think the biggest difference is that because we're in the same house, yeah. I was I was laying out pages with her. We would just go to the coffee shop and I'd lay out a few pages, and uh, so she could write a little bit more loosely. And then we could just talk about the way that I'm going to approach it. Uh, whereas with a, a writer that I'm not, you know, in the house with, yeah. I, I tend to get a more tight script and I try and stick a little bit more closely to it just to make sure that, you know, it, it gets across properly. I'd say it's the biggest difference. We had a few fights about it here and there. Had a few fights with, we're still <laughs> married and, you know, uh, fights with the other writers I've worked with too. And we still work together. So, yeah, it's it really not so different. I mean, you, you had a great responsibility for bringing Donna Troy uh, back into the DCU. What was your reaction to, to having that responsibility and obviously your wife's reaction but also what was the fans reaction as well because she was much lamented until she finally arrived on the scene well I didn't really have a reaction to be totally honest I, I've killed so many characters and brought so many characters back I've been doing this for so long but for Meredith I know it was a it was a big deal and um, she put a lot of thought into trying to bring her back in a way that that was complimentary and also kind of tragic because, you know, bringing, bringing a character in, I'm not a writer. I'm killing this answer right now. <laughs> I wish it was here for this one. might be an even difficult question. It was a big deal for her. She was thrilled. And it seemed like the fan reaction was, was fairly positive. It's impossible to do anything like that and have a hundred percent positive reaction. And, you know, I tried to, I tried to prepare Meredith for the fact that, yeah, there's no way you're going to please everybody with, with any of this stuff. And if you try, you'll end up with something that's very trite and, and not good. So, you know, you really have to have the guts to be willing to take the risk of having people angry. And I, I think that uh, it went over pretty well, actually. So. Going back to Moon Knight, um, there has been rumors about a film or a Netflix TV show. Who do you think would be a good choice of character? Okay, I'm going to first of all just say Vin Diesel because he's my first choice of actor for everything. Even Mary Poppins remake. Yep, Vin Diesel. But yeah, that's a that's a good question. I I don't know. I mean, it would need to be it would need to be somebody that could really scowl. Yeah, and just you know. I don't know, maybe Jason Stratham, you know, he'd be pretty good. I just think the actor you wanted to play in your autobiography, do you think, because the same airline? And I can say that. We are, <laughs> yeah, we are very similar. I get mistaken for him all the time. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. That's a, that's a really good question. I want to know what Dave's working on. No one's actually asked what Dave's working on. Because you've got conspicuously quiet DC since Batman, I think. 
I've, I'm working on an image comic right now with a, a writer that I'm thrilled about and I can't say, which is killing me, but he's a big writer that, you know, I, I had wanted to work with for a long, long time. Um, and, you know, it, it came up. I couldn't say no. So it'll be, I'll be finished by the end of the year. Uh, it'll be out shortly before that. It's all one book, uh, large format. I'm drawing the pages at a larger size myself. I'm inking it myself. So it's taken forever to do. So yeah, about a hundred pages, all one book. Uh, large format, eventually. <laughs> so it's brilliant. Yeah. I sure hope so. Well, I think it's a brilliant story. It really is. It's uh, you know, it's a great writer. I mean, you know, all the pieces are there for it to to be a great book. So if it, if it doesn't do well, I blame myself. Thank you very much. I appreciate it. What's in the box, guys? What's in the box? So we went to MCM Comic Con a few Saturdays ago, and I picked up two of the finest crates of geek. One is Z Box, the mystery box made for geeks, apparently. Finest and crates of geek. Yes. Where did where such a bold sentence? Why? Well, they were there, and it was a geeky thing, and they've got geek written on them. Okay. All right. We'll I think go. it pretty much fills the description there. Well, you you've set that sentence up, so let's see if if it fills. The promise of the sentence. All right, so the first one we're going to go with is the Z box. Isn't this the thing you get from Zavin? Yes. All right, okay. The mystery box made for geeks. Oh, God, what is in here? What the hell is that? That looks like Keith. It does not. (laughs) (laughs) What? Okay, okay. It's Breaking Bad themed merchandise. Oh, oh. Okay, I can see a thing on his hand. Are we going to press it? Go I hope it. this doesn't swear. <laughs> oh, is that Jesse? I thought it was yes. Walt. No, it's Jesse. <laughs> that's good here. This is my own private domicile and I will not be harassed. That's going to swear in. I, I think this is like a game of roulette here. Right? <laughs> yes, science. Oh, so, yes, yeah, science. But... Yeah, I, I, you, you play his voice, and all I can see is is is, is uh, BoJack Horseman. Um, oh my god, so, it, like, it's you know, Todd. Yeah, it's yeah, Todd, Todd from which is the same actor. Can you describe yeah, yeah. what this is, Ryan? The he even has like the same so, little beanie hat. This is a plushy version of Jesse Pinkman from Breaking Bad, which does talk as well. The hat doesn't come off. It's, but it's Todd wearing from the Bojack yellow with the yeah. yellow suit. Yeah, it's wearing the traditional series four yellow suit. I mean, for cooking. I genuinely can understand why nobody wanted to buy this. Yeah. Yeah. There, there is. There, I, sound I, like I do. Him. I do. This is one of the great geek mysteries for me. Is plushies of adult characters. I'm going to like thinking: Is somebody cuddling up with this in bed at night, <laughs> or what? Exactly. What do you do with it? Right. Some some poor kid's horror story when they find this in the cupboard. Uh, Moving on to our next item. It is a key ring. Is that a Pokemon? It or is a, a Pokemon. Yeah. Okay. Branded by Tommy of all people. Remember Tommy? Were they the ones that did the Beanie Babies? Yes. No, that was something else. But it's a Scraggy, apparently. But it's got a key ring. It's quite cute. He's trying to stop forcing the hat over Jesse's head. I don't know if he can wear his yellow bit. His his head's far too big. Right, I actually quite like this. This is quite nice. And it's like... It is a Zelda Hyrule mug. It looks like to be a high quality mug. I know, that's nice, yeah. Nice black mug with the uh, Zelda Triforce logo. What's it made out of? Is it China? Is 
ceramics. It's proper ceramic. Yeah. It's quite good. I like that. That's a good idea. It's a very nice matte finish. Yeah. What else have we got in this one? We have an advert for Zedbox. I'm subscribing. And Threads, which is their new version, apparently, where you can just get t-shirts. And the rest of it is paper-based. So we have the Street Fighter Unlimited Comp. Okay. Which is a special one-off one. Number one. Looks quite good. Keith, do you want to judge the artwork? Uh, is that it? That is the content of the first How one. How much did you pay for that? These were £5 each. That's a nice high quality mug. I mean, £5 for a mug alone is yeah. kind of fair, actually. Yeah. yeah the rest of it is questionable. It's a nice mug. Yes. There's a rather dubious splash page in this uh, street. <laughs> oh, Christ. Chun Lee tied up. Oh, oh. Alright. I have a sense of deja vu from this geek box. So which, which one's this now? We've, moved this on, is, we've moved on to the My Geek Box, hashtag My Geek Box, which is also from Zavi, I think. Those ring, I've seen those before. Princess. High quality Princess Bride playing cards. Right. Captain Scarlet. Hang on, hang on. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely a sense of deja vu here. Yes, Captain Scarlet Colt Vinyl. Marvel shoelaces. Do we all feel a oh, bit of um, deja vu with this? I think you wasted a fiver. And then Assassin's Creed Rising comic book as well. Nobody wants that. Oh, can I have that? Can I have that? Can I have that? <laughs> <laughs> all of this is rubbish. Oh, can I have that? Is that Yoshi? It is. Yoshi. Yoshi. And he's got little flappy arms as well. Oh, that's cute. So cute. Go on, then you can take the Yoshi. Oh, you put, put that on your backpack, guy. Yes. Well, no, I'm going to give it to Laura. Is that it? <laughs> and that's it for the Is other one. It? And how much was that one? Five pounds as well. Okay, okay. So I think ten pounds total value. We've got some decentish stuff there. I mean, I probably would have paid that for the Zelda book on its own, really. I think you fell in it, falling in love with the Yoshi, haven't you? Oh, uh, yeah. It's a Yoshi. And what's not to love? Yes. I think you'd have a bit of a problem if you'd subscribe to this and you're only getting one or two de decent things out yes. of it. You're going to have a, oh, well, have a garage just, full of stuff that's going to end up in a yard is sale. 20 quid a month Ooh. for the Z box. Ooh. 20 pounds and you get bloody this. Jesus. I say, I like the mug. The mug is definitely high quality and I do yeah. like this mug. And I think if you're getting like one high quality item per box, it's yeah. like, you're covering the costs. But I think. Probably better to pick them up at a convention if you want a random box of stuff for I a think, yeah. I think you're probably just better off finding the one thing you want and buying that individually. Yeah. But, you know, if, if your life is, is lacking mystery, yes, uh, by all means, uh, fill your boots with mystery boxes. Yep. You're nothing to me but customers, Bojack. Yes. Why it's rubbish. Cinema edition. It's been a while since we've had a rant on air. Get your popcorn. Keith, do you want to start us off? <laughs> That's so unfair. Just because Guy says, don't do me first. You don't put somebody else that's equally unprepared. Um, should, we, should we just go with the most obvious one? In yes. Terms of, in terms of what it is. Is that um, when, you, when you go to the cinema, you know, you, you're in a group of other people who have paid probably some substantial fees of money yeah. to go and see it. And they, 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 they're not subtle about it. It does say, please switch off your mobile phone. We get a giant advert on the screen telling you to turn your phone off now. Yeah. And uh, you should. You should switch it off. I, I'm, a, I'm an advocate of the completely turning off the phone. Not the, I'll put it on silent. 
or I'll, I'll just do it so it won't ring because you know you're going to get your phone out at some point or it'll vibrate and you're going to wonder whether it's somebody telling you you've won the lottery or something because you have to whip that phone out straight away and give it a good looking at <laughs> with this giant glow which makes like you know the sun seem like a, a, a small desk lamp <laughs> in a day lit office um, just don't do it don't get your phone out don't look at it you've come to see the film you've paid money I'm hoping unless you're one of these people that have got an unlimited card and they just go to the cinema to just be warm or do something uh, you know be warm. The, the rest of their family can't stand them being at home so they have to go to the cinema instead um, just don't have it on just please Living don't tips for it's people. two hours get yourself it's an unlimited two hours. card and a gym card and you never have yeah. to go home again <laughs> it's, it's two hours you can live without your phone for two hours so just don't if you if you know you're going to the cinema be prepared to turn that phone off be prepared to be uncontactable for two hours I think they should make all cinemas into Faraday cages and just well, like yeah. cut the signal off yeah why is there signal in a, in a cinema why is it not just an absolute like, dead zone dead zone yeah it should be like when you go when you're on a train and you go through a tunnel. What annoys me even more now is some cinemas that like have this join our competition at the start for the adverts and they're like hook onto the cinema's Wi-Fi and do the Wi-Fi competition on your phone to win free cinema tickets. Like the whole point is people are supposed to put their phones away at the cinema, not be playing on them with the stupid. They thing. should have somebody at the front of the door with a basket going. Put your phone in the basket. You'll get it back at the end. Could you imagine? Oh, the, the hose again. <laughs> you could imagine. You, you could imagine the separation anxiety of half the audience having to be away from their phone for two hours. I, I learned the word for that when I was writing my piece on digital addiction. It's called nomophobia. The uh, the, the anxiety or, or fear of being out without your device. You're onto something because you just said about like you know. Um, if you're not welcome at home, get a gym membership or a... And an unlimited cinema card. So why don't we encourage homeless people to apply for the gym because it's open 24 hours? Job done. I've heard that of stories... problem. I've heard of stories in the States where people who are <laughs> homeless or living in their car get a gym membership because they can go to the gym every morning, get showered, get clean, get dressed, then go to the office and pretend everything's fine. That's a great idea. I mean, it's actually really sad. And it's very sad, but you'll, but you'll lose weight, though. Think about it. You've got well, all, to be honest, guy, if you're homeless, I don't think losing weight's an issue. I think actually trying to find yeah. food might be. Good point, that. I didn't think of that. Yeah. yeah. I, think, I, think, I think if you are homeless, the last thing you want to be spending your money on is gym membership. Well, I can understand why some people will do that in the States if they are in a case that they can't have a house. So it's at least somewhere they can go and get clean and... I guess. And stuff like that. I think I think society in general should be supplying all of these things rather yes. than it being some kind of gym membership thing. But I think we're, we'll be getting a little off track. I thought you meant society should be providing everybody about... membership When we live in a world where people think they've got to have their phones on when they go to the cinema and look at it and have their face lit up. When you, when you have a story where Michael Jordan has just reached the top 50 rich list on Forbes with his billions of dollars... Yeah. Just to reach the top fifty because of all of his endorsements. That's kind of a sad state in society. So Michael Jordan's still a thing. Well, Michael Jordan was very smart and spent all of his money into like restaurant chains, car dealerships, stuff like that. He basically invested in a lot of businesses. Yeah. So he's absolutely loaded. But moving back to the cinema, Phil, what upsets you most at the cinema? So for me, going to the cinema is a real treat. I will only go to the cinema if I'm like, this is a film I absolutely have to see. Um, you know, I, I, especially I'm freelancer, so I don't necessarily have a budget to go and spend a lot of money all the time. So when I went to see Black Panther, 
that was a movie I was really looking forward to, and all of the buzz around it was so exciting. I was like, yeah, I'm, I'm, I can't wait to see this. I have to go and see it, like, immediately. Uh, but I went when I went to see it, it was during half-term, which I didn't realise until oh. I got to the oh. cinema, and I was just surrounded by these, like, 14, 15-year-old kids. And it wasn't even that they were, like, having conversations or they were doing that. What it was, they were, like, all the way through the movie, they were, like, going up and down the stairs in the cinema, into out into the lobby, and I'm like, what? What are oh, you yeah, doing? Oh yeah, they do that. Yeah, yeah. They do that. So it was like basically like running around, socializing, while we were trying to watch, you know, the most important superhero <laughs> film of all time. And it's just like, you know what, Becky Lee, can you not? <laughs> it's like, oh uh, no, nah, like, uh, like Ellis is getting off with like uh, Sammy in the corridor and it, like that sort of behavior. Basically, yeah. And I, th- I think they were just like running down into the like into the lobby to like. I don't know, like have phone calls or just like you know do Molly or whatever Tweet. it is that kids do these <laughs> days. Take take a selfie of them at the cinema watching the film at the time. Yeah, it was just like so, and it was like nonstop for the entire two hours. Oh. I was so. If the film hadn't been so engaging and kept me occupied, I would have been even more furious. Than Hang I was. on, we made we. It was him that was running out of the cinema every two hours to take a selfie every <laughs> few minutes. <laughs> He's looking at me like that. I'm happen. actually, I'm, I'm, I am a perfect cinema customer. I put my phone on flight mode so that it does not vibrate or ring the entire time. And then it's great because it's me. Basically, the only times I'm away from my phone are when I'm in the cinema, in the shower, or doing yoga, or asleep. <laughs> I like how you, like, even asleep, I just imagine you're like sleeping again. It's <sighs> <laughs> fresh like, your face. So, I, 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 sleep tweeting. <laughs> Oops, oh my god! Yes, so oops, I meant, didn't mean to. <laughs> I just, I just remembered. I meant to tweet. Actually, I had an amazing dream last night where Frank Ocean and Michael B. Jordan were dating. Can you even imagine? <laughs> I, I had a dream the other night, and I woke up and I was actually annoyed at, at Laura. I dreamt that she told me that Bruce Springsteen had died, so I was genuinely upset by this. And she was up getting ready for school, and I was just like, like looking at her with pure anger. This hadn't happened, but I was genuinely really annoyed at her that in my dream she told me Springsteen was dead, and it's kind of like. Like, I felt really bad about, like, getting annoyed at her for no reason, but it's kind of like, well, you did break the news to me about Bowie, so... So, catching up to his musical career, then. (laughs) Can we also just make clear at this point, Laura was getting ready for school as a teacher. Yeah, as a teacher, (laughs) as a teacher. That is one of the most... Like, when you say to people, like, oh, yeah, my God, this is school, like, like, people look at you and they say, no, no, she's a teacher. It's like, yeah. You're like one of those 26-year-old guys that hook up with, like... You need to say, my girlfriend is a teacher first. But do you know It just doesn't... It doesn't register, like, it doesn't think, because it's like, that's what I know her to do. I mean, the the thing with the kids is, is, I don't think it's... Kids, because when I it's when I was a par- kid, it's I bad went to parenting. Yeah. Parents teach your children social mores, so, teach them how to behave yeah. when they are outside of the house. Because my, my kids go. That to is the your cinema, parents' job, and they don't run around. They sit and watch the film because they know that's what they go there to do. And it, I can imagine Laura has the same way she has to like teach children basic social skills I that their parents haven't taught. Won't them. even delve into the uh, trials and tribulations of her yes. teaching life. Um, Reproduction is a responsibility and not a right. <laughs> True that. My thing about cinemas. People having conversations throughout the movie about their general day-to-day life. Do not go to the cinema to catch up with your friends. Go to the cinema to watch what is on the screen and then catch up with your friends after the show. I don't after mind the screening. if like, going to the cinema is part of like a wider social like occasion where like, you're going, you've been for, like, going for a meal after or something. And you can chat during the previews, during the trailers. That's okay. Yes. But then it literally says on that big screen, turn your phone off, 
finish your conversation. Yes. It should be. I, they, they need to have Miss Crabtree, the bus driver from South Park, shut up and sit down. Uh, I think they need to blast white noise into the cinema for like 30 seconds before the film starts so people can't talk or do anything like that. So this is your cue to shut up, eyes forward, and be I, quiet. I think people would still just, they'd wait for that to stop and then carry on. What about a vetting process as you go yes, through? Yesterday, as we were watching Ready Player One, me and Keith, as soon as as soon as you get the BBFC screen come up to say, the film is starting right now, stop what you're doing, watch the film. You, What was the words you heard from behind us? <laughs> I can't remember off the top of my head. But it yeah. was something on the lines of, so John, what have you been up yeah. to the last week? Yeah. Like, oh my God. Do not do that. You, they'd it's been a... there for 20 minutes beforehand as well. You could have got all this conversation yeah. out of the way. It's like, I don't mind the adverts, trailers. A little bit. The trailer is like a 20 minute window in which you kind of have to kill a bit of time, you know. You can either watch the trailers or if it's a rubbish trailer, have a chat. Mine isn't rubbish, but more more about what's funny about going to cinema. Especially if you go to Cineworld, you see those adverts where people have bought for the Cineworld card and it's like these static shots of people like sitting in the cinema where their mouths are gaping wide open. They're genuinely looking like something is happening to them, which they are thoroughly enjoying. It's like, what? Why did you think these adverts were a good idea? Like these poor people like to post them, and then you get the cinema card come up, which says Mr. Seymour, and it's kind of like how much I just craved the word butts to be I, after that. I think you're misunderstanding how advertising works. Yes. <laughs> the fact that those people are more than likely actors who have been paid to assume those positions, and they're not <laughs> genuine people that have just gone to the cinema. Keith, for future reference, never mention actors and assuming positions in a sentence. Oh, that's what you do with actors. You ask them to assume the that position. Was, it's definitely his bag in my garden. <laughs> anyway. Uh, but they're DVDs. <laughs> if they were DVDs, they're not mine, because I'm, I'm all about the Blu-ray guy. So. <laughs> High definition, if you know what I mean. So if you've got your own rants, moans, and winches about the cinema, drop us a tweet at Geeky Rummy or on Facebook. Or, just... or if you are one of these people that use their mobile phone and have a chat, chat about stuff, Defend that position. Tell us why that is. And the only acceptable answer will be listening to the Geeky Brummy podcast. Even then, no. I don't care. I don't care whether it's the Queen ringing you. You shouldn't accept that phone call in the middle of a film. The Queen can wait. She's got plenty of time. She ain't doing anything else. (laughs) (laughs) Phil, where can we find you online? You can find me on Twitter at Philip underscore Ellis. That's Philip with one L, Ellis with two. Look for the man with the ginger beard and the blue tick. Thank you. Mr. Bloomfields, where can we find you? It's uh, hardluck underscore hotel on Twitters without the underscore on Instagram and with .co.uk at the end on the interweb. Mr. Halfords, where can we find you? Uh, at Guy underscore Halford on Twitter and Vinyl Guy H on Instagram. You can find Callan Danes on a beach full of envy, staring into the distance. Yeah. Or at Danes Radio. Yeah, on... Danes Radio. Yes. Follow him on Instagram. He has fun content too. Yeah. yeah. And you can find me... <laughs> you can find Ryan Dittman's copy of Cranked in my back garden. <laughs> Covered in chocolate. <laughs> you can find me online at Ryan Parrish, and you can find the food bloggy stuff when I decide to restart it at Brummy Gourmand. But don't forget, you can find all of us at Geeky Brummy on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube, and at geekybrum.com. So go and tune in, read stuff, enjoy, let us know how we're doing. Don't forget to like, subscribe, to share. Please write us a review. It really helps us. Please, please. Yeah, do it. Do, do it. it. Including you, Dave. 
Yeah, Dave out? Price, write us a review. We know you listen to it. Write us a review, Dave Price. And you, James Hill. You've been you've been named and shamed. Write a review. <laughs> We've still got copious amounts of stuff to give away to people who write us uh, an interesting review. Yes, including now a Jesse Pinkman plushie. Dave, if you Dave, if you write a review, I will send you a signed picture from me personally. That is of me and you. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for joining us. Um, time to say goodbye. Bye, everybody. Farewell. Alvida saying goodbye. Bye. Tati Vise. Thank you for listening to our high quality podcast. If you like what we do, you can support us by visiting patreon.com forward slash Brum Radio.